Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. Okay, so today we're looking at um, Exodus chapter 16, all the way through to 18. I'm not going to read the entire thing out, which you will be glad to hear. Um, But we are going to be looking here at what four key situations that the Israelites went through with Moses. And we're going to be thinking about how this helps us to understand who God is and what that means for how we live our life and how we can surrender into what his will is. So remember the verse for the year. You could all like recite it now, like just like that, couldn't you? Um, but I have got it on the screen in a second. So the verse for the year is, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. So it's that last it's that section that's highlighted that we're really thinking about today is it's then once we've not conformed to the pattern of this world then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is for us. And I don't know about anybody else but I personally would love to be able to know God's perfect and pleasing will for my entire life day by day all the way to the end. I would love that, and I'm forever asking God for that. And he's forever saying no. (laughs) Um, But he is gracious, and he does show us what his will is in so many ways. Um, And we're going to be thinking a bit about that today. Um, But the other verse, when I was preparing that, I thought was really important for us. Because remember, we get to live in the privilege of of having the Holy Spirit, um, which is incredible. So this verse from John here, But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And this morning, we've had such a sense of the presence of the spirit of God in this room. And he is with us all the time, whether we feel it like this this morning, or whether we don't feel a jot of it when we're in work tomorrow. The Holy Spirit is with us. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, he does not leave you. He is with you. And the spirit of truth is speaking into every circumstance. So let's focus on who God is today. Rid ourselves of anything of the world. Let's focus our minds on who God is and really listen to what the spirit is teaching us. It's a good thing. It doesn't rely on us. Okay. So... Just to recap the story so far with the Israelites, um, they've been through a fair bit. Um, So it obviously started, you know, Moses encountered God at the burning bush. That was pretty significant. And God sort of gave him the, the destiny, the big plan. But the Israelites have lived through slavery in Egypt. They have experienced the plagues where God was bringing freedom bit by bit by bit they experienced the Passover. What a significant moment to see the power of the blood save the whole community. God brought them through the sea. They worshipped God. They experienced the bitter waters. Remember that a couple of weeks ago when Darren was teaching about when they came to the bitter waters and they were grumbling and they were like, what is going on? And then they were refreshed at Elim. They've been through quite a journey, and this isn't a long period of time. These things actually weren't, you know, they were quite close together. So they've been quite through quite a journey. 
Um, and we're going to start now looking at Exodus 16, verse 1 to 5, and we're going to see um, what happens next. Okay, so, what has changed? Let's see. So, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Then they were sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. Okay, so not much has changed, to be honest. They're out there, and again, they're grumbling. They're saying, oh, we're hungry. Yes, we might be freed from Egypt. Yes, God might have given us water that we can drink. Yes, you know, all these things have happened. But we're hungry now. Oh, we shouldn't have ever left slavery. We were better being treated as slaves. Everybody being, you know, massively abused. People were being killed. It was a horrible circumstance. Oh, but we're remembering the food that we used to eat sat around those pots when we were in slavery. That food was pretty good. They've forgotten what they left. They've forgotten the experience of that slavery so quickly. And now that they're in a bit of a challenge situation, and it is a challenge if you've not got food, it is challenging. But they're in this challenge and they forget to look at who's rescued them. And they're saying, I'm hungry, we shouldn't have ever left. This reminds me of when we sit there, and I think we all do it, where we kind of get, oh, you know, it's a bit hard this, having to like, have this rhythm, I'm going to pray every day, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Oh, wouldn't it be nice just to have a lion on a Sunday and to just, you know, not have to constantly be the different one in my group of friends and just sort of, just be like everybody else. Oh, wouldn't that be sort of a way off? We forget the freedom that we have. We go back to the idea of what we think that was like before we were made free. It's not that. It's not. We get lied to and we get deceived, tempted back into our old life. They were grumbling. They were not best pleased. So, the quail and the manna. So, God had this incredible plan, didn't he? So, he wouldn't have been best pleased about them grumbling, and he says so elsewhere. You know, he wasn't best pleased with them. But he still provided the quail... And the manner. Now, we're not going to read through this whole passage because we're not going to read through three chapters today. But um, when the Israelites were grumbling and they were hungry, God met that need by providing a whole um, mass movement of quail. Right? There was a migration of quail coming across that land. And there were millions of these birds, millions of them. And what happens, because it was happening up until the mid-1900s, is every year the quail would migrate across this land. 
And because it's a big, big journey that they take, they have to come in low and land to rest, and then they take off again. And just at the right time, and just at the right spot, this entire group of quail, what's the word I'm looking for, not group, flock, thank you, this whole flock of quail came and came right down low so the Israelites could take hold of the meat they needed and there was more than enough for every member of that tribe. There was more than enough. Now what's interesting is, so these these quail have been doing this every year for donkey's years and um, they do this every year, exactly the same path. Now the theory is, looking at the maps, that they would have had to come slightly out of their normal migration pattern to be exactly where they need to be for the Israelites who were hungry. And in order for them to have been on that line where the Israelites were, they would have had to change direction two days beforehand. So before the Israelites started grumbling and crying out for food, God already had a plan. He'd already put it into action two days beforehand and moved the winds to redirect this whole flock of quail to meet that need. If ever we doubt God's provision, who is he? Who is God? He is the author of all creation, everything. He moved an entire flock to feed the grumbling Israelites. And then the next day, he created something brand new. He's like, all right, I'll give you some manna. We don't really know what that is. It's still really a a mystery. But God was like, I'm going to bless you. And every single day that you need this, I'm going to bless you with food. You're going to have this manna right until they actually leave the, the wilderness. They get that every single day. We get that every single day. We get God. We get him. We get the meat, the, the daily bread. We get God. We get his presence. We get his word. We get his church. Every day, God provides for us. And if ever we doubt this, let's go back and see who is the God we serve. The God we serve created everything out of nothing. The God we serve called Moses and equipped a very underconfident, anxious man to lead an entire generation. The God we serve moved moved the winds so a whole flock came. Millions of birds fed them right in the right moment, right in the right time. Our God sees us, he hears us, and he answers our call. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. Now, looking back at Romans 12, 2, when we're thinking about the quail and the manna, it is, it is easy, isn't it, sometimes when we're in a circumstance like they were in when they were hungry, we get fixed on that moment of challenge and we forget the big picture. Okay, so it's really important. So when we're thinking about this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. God's will is often bigger than the specific thing we're asking him for. So we might be saying we're hungry, but God sees that actually we need to be sustained for a specific amount of time and there needs and there's a there's a bigger picture around the specific thing we can see. And I would just invite us all, let's lift our eyes and trust the one who knows. He knows the much bigger picture than we're looking at today. 
And I'm sure that for lots of us, when we look back at our, our own personal history, we can see that we might have been asking God for things that he never gave us, and now we can see why. Now it makes sense. Oh, yeah. If I'd been where, where I was asking, then the bigger picture would never have come to be. So let's trust the one who leads us. Let's trust God. And I've put up there, Hebrew, I think it's, yeah, Hebrews 11. If ever you need to think about how, like, how you have faith, Hebrews 11 is so good. Just read that. It's so powerful because it takes you through, right the way through this big picture of the God that we serve. Right the way through about his power and his unfailing commitment to his promises. It's, it's him who we serve. Okay. And then onto the next slide, if that's all right. So, in the next, so that, that was the first of the four sections that we're thinking about today, was the manna and the quail. The second is from chapter 17. I'm going to read this section to you. And it's, yeah, I'll read this to you. So, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin. Um, Travelling from place to place, as the Lord commanded, they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. They've still not learned. <laughs> They've not had that renewing of mind yet. They see a problem and they're still going, oh, right, we go straight to Moses and complain. They're not going to God. They're not remembering what God's done, like, yesterday. <laughs> they're still complaining. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Clearly the Lord was among them. He was working in all these ways. Now, so they still haven't had their minds renewed. They were still grumbling. But God's response was still to meet that need. Now, did you notice that he's still using that staff? Now, he's been using that staff all the way through this journey since God called him. When God first said to Moses, dude, I've got something for you to do. And he was like, that's my interpretation. Um, God said to him, right, what's in your hands? And he went, a staff. And God used that staff. And he's using it over and over and over again. And I want to ask you today. What is already in your hand that God is asking you to use? Because there's something there. And you might think it's just a bit of a crutch. You might think it's nothing significant. But God wants to use what's already in your hands and he's going to do miraculous things with it. 
If God can do that when Moses raises, you know, when he, when he lifts up his staff and he, when he hits a rock with it and water flows out, enough water for this whole group of people to drink, what can he do with what's in your hand? What gifts has he given you? What people groups has he placed you in? What skills have you got? Ask God, what is it that's in my hand? What would you like me to do with this? Now, the other thing to note here is, in the Bible, we see that Jesus is referred to as a rock. And if you have a look at 1 Corinthians 10, um, it talks about Christ being the rock. And when we think about this picture of this rock that Moses strikes and water flows out, water in the Bible is often a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus Christ was struck, when he was put on that cross and when he was killed and he died for our sins, he was struck and the Holy Spirit was poured out for the whole church, for all the believers, for you and for me. And that is a refreshing, ongoing flow of the Holy Spirit for us. That flow never stops. That picture of the throne room of God and the Spirit pouring out, that is continuous. And the Holy Spirit is continuously flowing in us and out of us. And that is because of the sacrifice Jesus made. Christ was struck and we get get to stand in the refreshing glory of that because of his power of his resurrection. Okay. The third part of this section is from chapter 17, and this is where the Amalekites come and attack the Israelites. Now, they come and attack, and I'm not going to read this section, but the, um, the Israelites don't grumble this time. So that's pretty good. That's news. So they don't grumble. <laughs> no. um, they're learning. They're beginning to have their minds renewed, perhaps. Um, and so they're not grumbling. And Moses has a plan. And he sends Joshua out into the battle. The, the, the ones trained up to, back to fight will go out to battle. And Moses has a different role. So uh, let me just find it. So... It's uh, Exodus 17, verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I remember doing a, um, do you remember when we did those little videos, like two-minute thought for the day things during COVID? I remember doing one of these when, um, on this, when I walked into my kitchen one day, and Phil was in the middle of renovating it, and he was trying to replace the ceiling. And so, Phil, who was it? Was it Mike and who? 
guys. They were basically all stood on chairs and on countertops trying to hold this, like, panels on the ceiling. And I was like, Moses. <laughs> I remember doing, like, a two-minute video on that. Um, but we need each other, don't we? We've, you know, God is calling us all to, um, to a position in his army. So for some of us, we need to be out in battle. We need to be leading the charge, perhaps, in battle. But God is calling us each to different roles. Aaron and her, decent guys, like, you know, God was using them. And their job was to hold up Moses' hands. Now, you might think that was a bit mediocre, a bit beneath them. That was vital because if his hands had fallen and they'd taken their eyes off God, then it was over. They They were finished. So some things that God might be asking you to do that you think is a bit mediocre and possibly beneath you might have such kingdom impact that you're not aware of at the time. Do whatever he's asking you to do and do it well. And our battles can look so different, can't they? Some of us are battling huge, huge things. And in fact, some of us might actually have different understandings and experiences of what huge is. But in every single battle, God has a plan and he has a way forward and he's always with you and he's never going to leave you. And the Holy Spirit is there to equip you. And church, we've just done membership, right? And we are in this together, aren't we? We're in this battle together. No matter what comes against us, no matter how we might feel, we're in this together. And do you know, John, you really blessed me today because I was sat there on the floor and you just put your hand around me. And I'm going to cry again. I'm not going to cry again. But when you put your hand around me, it was, I just felt so safe and loved and blessed to be part of this family. And I don't know if you realized that that was a big thing, but that was as significant as being prayed for before because God spoke through that. And if ever God is, if if ever you're in a battle, let's come together and support each other because God moves in ways we do not get, but it is powerful. Never underestimate your significance. Okay, so... Let's trust in who God is and trust in that surrender in all, at all times. So part four of this story is Jethro. So um, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law and they have a long relationship of sheep keeping, shepherding. And uh, so that is how Jethro really related to Moses because Moses looked after his sheep. And then suddenly, Jethro comes along to visit, um, and he's just like, Moses goes, right, Dad, let me just explain what's going on. And they sit down, and they have this whole chat where Moses fills him in on what's gone on in Egypt, how God's brought them out, all these different things, and Jethro's like, wow, that's pretty intense shepherding. That's pretty good. And he's really, he's really proud of him. He, he thinks this is a, an amazing thing. And so he, he kind of, Moses brings him in and shows him how everything is working within the whole community. And he has some advice. So Jethro already had faith in God. He already believed in God. Um, but he observed what was going on with Moses. And he, he noticed that Moses was getting worn out. 
that things were not working efficiently. And he gave Moses some really good advice. So that instead of Moses having to sit and hear every single issue that was going on within the community, he was to appoint other leaders who would maybe head up smaller groups, different size groups, and that they would listen to all the issues and they would bring anything major back to Moses for for Moses to, to get some advice from God about. And that was great advice. Now, Moses could have gone... Uh, do you know who I am? Like, I'm the one that God spoke to at the burning bush. I'm the one that's done this. But he didn't. He went, actually, mate, yes. Like, that's really good advice. I'm going to take that on board and implement that straight away. And, um, and that had a big impact on that whole community. And it's really important that whatever we're doing, we are teachable and we are able to together support each other and give advice and look for the wisdom in that. So it might be that you're a missional community leader and somebody in your missional community comes and says, oh, I've had an idea about how we might do something different. They're not complaining about you and they're not challenging you. They might be bringing something really wise that we've not thought of. We don't have to do everything on our own. That's why we're as teams. So let's listen to each other and move forward together. It's surrendering our control, isn't it? Surrendering that authority um, in, all, in all things. So, I am whizzing through things because there's some specific things that I really felt God wanted to say today. And it has been like brought already, some of these things. Um, but on this last slide, trust and surrender, I really feel like God is asking us to think about who he is. Who is God? What do we know him as? Do we know him as our father, as our friend? Do we see him as um, a guide, a lead? What do we know of God? What do we know of him through this story of Moses? There's so many things of who God is that we can see through this story of Moses bringing the, the Israelites out. What do we know of God through our own stories? He's, he forgives, doesn't he? He redeems. He brings us out of darkness and into light. Who God is changes how we think. And that's what this Romans 12, 2 is all about. When we look at God, he renews the way that we think. He changes our perspective. So anytime we face a need or a battle, instead of grumbling and going, this is really hard, we go, I remember who God is. And I'm going to surrender my control. I'm going to surrender my expectation. God, you've got it. Guide me. Show me. That is why we can surrender, because of who God is. Um, a few days ago, I was, um, it was at Seedbed, and we were praying in like a little team. And I really felt like God showed me a picture of the burning bush and Moses and this holy ground And it was this recognition of who God is. God is holy. He is holy. And the contrast between sin and God is vast. And I suddenly had, you know, that queasy feeling in your belly where I was just like, oh, God's holiness deserves complete surrender. And um, 
I was on my own because I was doing the group on Zoom so nobody could see me. Hannah was in the Zoom. I don't think you could see me, but I took my shoes off while we were praying. (laughs) And so I took my shoes off in the little room because I was thinking about this burning bush and holy ground. And so I was just stood there like this praying and suddenly I realised now that my shoes weren't on my feet, I could feel everything. I could feel like the bumpy carpet. And, um, And I was like, oh. And then I just felt like God said, When you get rid of your rubbish, you are so much more sensitive to what I am saying. And I thought, oh, yeah. How many times do we still carry around our past or carry around sin or fear that we should have got rid of years ago? Just like the Israelites kept thinking about what the food was like back in Egypt. They'd forgotten the slavery they were in. We have been made free. We're free of the sin We're free of anything from the past. And we get to walk shoe-free. That means... So basically, when we're thinking about shoes, they're dirty, aren't they? That's why he took them off. Because it was the dirt that he'd walked up the hill and it was all filthy and yucky. And it was like, let's honour God for a moment. So when I think about taking my shoes off, I'm thinking, anything that's not of God, anything that's my flesh, that's, you know not good thoughts or whatever it might be I don't want that I don't want it anywhere near me and you know actually there's in Psalm 103 I'm just going to read it because God has something to say about our sin he says well first of all it says that God is the one who forgives us heals our diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If God's going to do all that, I don't need this. And then it goes on to say, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God brought the Israelites out of slavery. He's brought us out of slavery to our sin. And he's moved our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. And sometimes we just need to run from our sin. Sometimes we just need to go, I am not doing this anymore. Those deceptions, those lies, that stranglehold, it's gone. And sometimes you might look a bit stupid Sometimes you might feel like if you've got to run out of a pub because you know that there's something in there that's tempting you, people are going to be like, what are you doing? Do you know what? Looking stupid's okay sometimes if it's going to bring freedom in Christ. He has made a way. He has made that way. And when you look at Romans 6, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, in, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that our body, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, this is going to look stupid, but I don't want, I don't want sin. So I'm going to choose to throw it away. And God says he takes it as far as the east is from the west. So I'm throwing, I'm throwing it away because it's a choice. We can either choose to stay locked up in it or step into the freedom that he's already bought. If you notice that that Romans 6 and Romans 8, talking about it in the past tense, it's done. You are now free. And this idea of being consecrated today for what God wants to do tomorrow, this is what this looks like. It's saying, right, I'm going to stand in the power of the cross and in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to say, yeah, it's gone. My old self, it's gone. I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to stand in that. The old is gone. It's gone, and the new is here. Here today, and so I want to invite you to step into that new creation moment. And you might have been a Christian for donkey's years. This isn't about a moment of saying, I want to just respond to the gospel the first time. This is saying, We've just we've been saved, and now we've walked through the muck again and again. Let's get rid of it, let's consecrate ourselves today because of bringing the glory of God tomorrow. I want to see what that is. I want to see what it is. We've had the word about the breakthrough, the 20 years. That's a possible breakthrough when we respond to what God's invitation is. I want to see that breakthrough. Let's stand together for a moment. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.